Reclaimed Audio. Upcycling and making with reclaimed materials. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Reclaimed Audio. With me, as always, are... Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm uh, Bill Lutz and... Oh, and me, Tim Sway. Hey, guys, how's it going? What's up, man? I'm a little uh, tired. I was waiting for Bill to elaborate a little bit on his conditioner right now. Yeah, I mean, I'd be more than happy to. I took my very first farthest trip ever in the world and flew to Chicago and then drove to uh, Galena, Illinois, where I have now been up for about 40-plus hours. So um, if I sound a little... Um, less amazing and charming than I normally am. That's why. <laughs> right on. You might have. Uh, you might be reaching like a Zen state. You're so tired that like clarity kicks <laughs> in, and we'll get the real loot. <laughs> that's, that's true. Pearls of wisdom we're expecting from you right now. <laughs> this moment of clarity. Do not disappoint. Oh, I, I, this show is going to be more awesome than it's ever been, you guys. I'm prepared. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> Uh, before we get into it, I just want to remind everyone to check us out on iTunes, leave a five-star review. It really, really helps in getting um, more um, earballs onto the show and getting it more and more popular. We really appreciate it, guys. You can also promote our website, which is reclaimedaudiopodcast.com. And the last plug I'll give on this segment is our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash reclaimedaudio. You know, this show needs your support, and we appreciate it every little bit. So uh, let's get right into it. What are we working on? Tim, what are you working on this week? <laughs> uh, what am I working on? Um, I got a couple... Uh, uh, I'm experimenting. Today Today I spent some time experimenting. I, I basically finished that cabinet I was talking about, but I don't have the glass shelves in yet, so I can't wrap it until the, the glass gets ordered and comes in. And... Um, uh, yeah, I had a couple little things I was working on. I'm, I'm sort of doing some experimenting right now with uh, with some uh, some materials I don't usually work with, which is very exciting for me to do. You know? Okay. What kind of materials are that exciting for Mr. Tim Sway? Uh, it's just uh, product I got from this other planet called Unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish. Um, no, I'm just I'm messing around with. with um, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say. Okay. All right. Okay. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, because it's involved in gifts and stuff. And, you know. Okay. Fair enough. No spoilers here. Bill, what are you working on? I am working on uh, relaxing right at the moment. No, I'm actually going to get started on my next project. Was uh, I got a, I got a couple of commissions, uh, a standing desk, and a wardrobe. I think I talked about. But my next video, I believe, is going to be a, an Izzy Swan inspired something so that'll be it but I also just finished my uh, Vance Maker inspired video I, I I hauled butt and I did everything I could to make sure I got that done and out before I left for uh, Chicago and uh, I'm getting some good feedback so far oh it's so great it's it really, was awesome. really cool yeah it was a lot of fun a lot I love, of fun to make it was awesome I love the stickers that you came up with because that's something that I've been thinking about you know different ways to do Stickers and I've done these magnets that were like you know a little more, you know, expensive. You know what I mean, like and, and more. But you're that you got to watch Bill's video and see his his new sticker and uh, and you're gonna want one. So, <laughs> I'm not gonna. Speaking so, of stickers, speaking of stickers, I got to give a shout out. I also got in the mail Saturday uh, late. UPS came and dropped off my Mike Laffey designed Luis Gonzalez funded stickers that they had made for me. Which it just blows me away. These guys, you know, just how supportive and amazing is that? So 
I, when I get back, first thing I'm going to do is start making a bunch of my own, of my design ones, and uh, I've got those other ones, so I'd like to ship those out to anybody who wants them. I don't need to trade anything. I just Whoever wants one, I'd be more than happy to send them to you guys, and everybody I've already gotten some from, too. By the way. I want, I, I want I just, one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, and I just got absolutely. yours in the mail today, too, Phil. Uh, thank you very much, the ones you sent to Vance. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. God, we uh, all love each other. How good are we? What a love fest. <laughs> I know. What are you working on, Phil? Oh, right. Okay, what am I working on? Ugh, ad nauseum. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> pick me, pick me. Actually, I'm, I'm, I just got through that garbage can that I did, the little personalized garbage can, and uh, yeah, I, I posted a picture on Instagram. Did I put it on Facebook also? That, yeah, you did, and I just I, I tell you live now. Kudos, man. That was so cool. I love that oh, idea. I really do. Thanks. Yeah, no, it came out well uh, on the second attempt. The first one, I showed it to my wife. She's like, "You cannot ship that. That looks horrible." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, like, thank you. That's why I guess I bounced these things off her. No, but it really wasn't good. And I'll tell you, my biggest mistake with it was I tried to use spray paint right on plywood, and a uh, mm -hmm. big waste of time and money. Uh, instead, I went out and got a $6 mini roller, and I just rolled on some regular primer and then white paint and then way better coverage and a fraction of the price. Mm -hmm. You know, you can actually spray paint plywood, though. You, you can, yeah. but like to get solid white with no drips, it's really hard. The roller is just so fast. Use a roll-on primer and then yeah. spray paint over okay. it, and you'll, you'll have no problems. Yeah, yeah, it's all about that. Have. That initial coat is the one that's the problem, you know. And then after you've yeah. got that, something on it that's going to hold, then it'll. Yeah, you could. So that's good to know. Yeah. And then but I did, still, did a little tiny. Yeah, I yeah, did a little tiny letter on it, and but I made that out of MDF because the plywood you could still see, like the the plies, and it didn't look good. Yeah, the edges. Mm. Sorry, Tim, I interrupted you. What were you saying? I was just going to say that it's, if you have the roller out, you might as well just roll the whole thing, you know. Yeah. That's, that's yes and no, like that. The um the shelf I made for my mother in law the red one that was that was so intricate with all those little parts so I slopped a bunch of primer on it by hand and then I just spray painted the hell out of it and it came out super nice as far as the finish so when you have a lot of details and stuff and nooks and crannies to get into it's a whole lot easier with the spray can that's true obviously if you got if you got a spray uh a sprayer that would be better but um it, 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 can, it can work. I actually, you know what, I do, and I'm ready to give that thing away. Um, I don't use it. I bought a, it's not like a Fuji or something nice. It's a, um, a Campbell Housefield, yeah. and uh, it's mm -hmm. a decent thing. I used it once to do some uh, deck boards, and I just find that I don't use it. So I have this, you know, I paid a couple hundred bucks for it, and um, it's just sitting there, and I, yeah, maybe it's time for another pay it forward. See what happens, you know, get that going again. Hmm. I'd be more yeah. than happy to offer that up. I was going to ask if it's an HVLP. Yes, sorry. Yeah, I have like a like a. I think I paid like seventy five bucks for mine or something, and uh, I used it once. Same thing. It's just like I don't do enough like quality painting. It's not really in my. If I had another job that really required a lot of quality painting, it'd be worth setting the thing up. But it's just like ah, I just buy a can of spray paint. You know, it's most of the time that's all I need. What about uh, finish like lacquer or anything like that? Wouldn't it be cheaper to put it in a sprayer versus buying the the rattle cans? You know, it would be cheaper, and it would probably be more environmentally friendly as well, because the one I have is also a low pressure. Um, and I think about that every time I'm cracking one of those cans open. But uh, I really do so little spray painting, and I, and all these cans I have, I kind of got for free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got to edit that out. <laughs> Never. Mind. Um, but uh, 
yeah, there's a truck, and you know, but uh, yeah, no, it just uh, I just I don't do enough of it. It's never like the job is big enough, and you know. Okay, that's what that's what I found as well. It's just don't utilize it enough to justify keeping it. Somebody else can use it. And also, it's about I don't have the proper space to really set up for it. I don't feel like, and, and that's one of my long-term goals of my shop. I have that third bay of my shop that's just full of pinball machines and junk right now. And one of my plans is to actually set up half of that like a spray area, like a finish area, and get some cross ventilation in, clean it all out nice, hang some sheet rock so it's nice and clean in there. And then maybe I would set up right. an actual like so then it'd be I could have it set up. It wouldn't be like a big hassle, you know, someday. Do it right. Yeah, exactly. Because if I'm going to be doing that kind of a quality finish, the last time I used it, I was still working out of my driveway when I bought it. And I actually, I should find the pictures. I built this tent in my driveway out of just reclaimed 2 by 4s um, I have this seven-foot retaining wall and, and two walls. And then I built two walls out of 2 by 4s like almost like a stage set. And I hung tarps and, and nailed them all over this thing and nailed the roof over it and then nailed them up. And it was just the stupidest thing, man. And uh, but it worked. I just built a tarp spray booth in my driveway. It was so ghetto, but it worked. But it worked. Yeah, that's it all that counts. Yeah. So that's what I was working on. I, I was able to get out a whiskey box. I was able to get out a garbage can, and now I'm moving on to a couple of other things. Uh, Check uh, it out on Periscope if you if you're into to watching. I'm I'm starting to actually build a little bit of an audience here. I had ten guys watching me last night. It's uh, at Phil Pinsky, which is the same as my Instagram. If you want to check that out, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. I got guys who were like on Facebook going, "Up Periscope, Phil! Up Periscope!" And <laughs> that's that's awesome. I was like, "Okay, all right, let's go." I'm just doing stuff, but come hang out. Let's move forward. Uh, today's topic is Tim's, and it is. Why don't you walk us through it? Uh, value and you know, as as we try to think of, of interesting topics, you know, for this. This particular show being about you know upcycling and reclaiming materials, we're trying to think of topics that are appropriate that I think that other people would be thinking about, and um, and of course they they cross into other genres of making. You know, value does as well, but value seems to be a specifically interesting one for people that are dealing in what others might call garbage, because you're taking something that inherently has no value, and then giving it value, and so. You know, the value is in you, you know, or in me, or whatever, however you want to put it, and that's what I kind of really dig. Um, but I wanted to talk about, you know, value in a in a less existential way, I suppose, and about how we go about pricing things. How do you decide what something's worth, and and how, you know, how we do that? So um, maybe uh, maybe Phil, you could start. Like you have a, it sounds like a very successful Etsy site. You have you have a product line, and you you sell them, you you make them to order and whatnot. How do you go? How do you determine the value of these pieces that you're making out of reclaimed materials? I'm glad we're talking about this topic because I'm so excited to talk about it. People <laughs> are constantly asking this question. I've seen it on Reddit forums. Uh, the guys ask it on Facebook. You know, how do I know what to charge? How much should I charge for my work? And the truth of the matter is, is you know, we think about these things like uh, reclaimed material. Oh, I didn't pay for any of the wood, so you know, I shouldn't really charge that much. And this, that, and the other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so it's so crazy to me when you think that way because first of all, your your labor has a real component to it. Yes, you're in your garage. Yes, you're having a good time. Uh, you know, you're doing something that you love. But this person, whoever's purchasing it from you, the commission, the commissioner of this piece, you know, whether what you're doing is out of love or because it's a business to put food on your on your table, it's irrelevant. They're paying for you. They're paying for your expertise. They're taking whatever it took your life experience to get from A to Z for your ability to make this thing 
and that's what they're paying for. So uh, with all of that being said, here's what my process was. I keep upping the price until people stop buying it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's pretty awesome. The, the you know uh, economic principle is that uh, you know price and quotient you've got a supply you've got a price and you'll you'll hit a, an equilibrium somewhere where people will stop paying for your good or you know it becomes more scarce so I started selling these whiskey boxes at a hundred bucks they kept selling I kept upping the price and right now my strategy actually is to slow down sales so I keep upping the price they're now at two hundred and fifty dollars I sold three of them at two hundred and twenty five. Let's see what happens at 250, but I'm happy to sort of chill out on making these for a little while because I'd, I'd like to have something more interesting to say during these podcasts. <laughs> interesting. Good um, strategy. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and uh, you know, it sounds like what you're achieving by doing that is, uh, and it's not necessarily just the product, but quality over quantity. Not that they were of less quality when you were making more of them, but I'm more referring to the quality of your life. Um, right. Oh, yeah. Instead of making... Instead of making ten of them for a thousand dollars, you're making seven of them for a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? So uh, there's a quality of life difference, uh, which is you know a big part of it for me too. That was uh, that was interesting to hear you put it that way. How about you, Bill? Well, mine's a little different because I don't have the experience that you guys do as far as selling on Etsy or websites like that. So mine have been mostly commission work, and and it, there's a lot of factors that go into it um, as far as pricing goes. If I don't know the person and they contact me, however, and the first thing I'll do is I'll sit down with them, talk about what they're thinking they want, whether it's a dresser or a, you know a table, whatever it is, and try and keep them from getting too much detail out. And once I find out the basics, I ask them, "What were you thinking of spending on this project?" And that's going to give me an idea of where they're at. Um, if they're like you know 150 bucks, and I'm going to joke with them and say, "Okay, well I've got some duct tape and cardboard at home, and we can get something <laughs> going for you." And then, but usually they're, they've looked around, they know what they cost to buy at the stores, they've seen them on Craigslist or whatever, so they, they're semi-honest, so that just tells me, if they say, for instance, I want to, you know, can you build me a, a, a dining table, and they're looking at spending like 500 bucks, then my response will just be kind of telling them what I, what I would build for $500, you know, it's going to be a little bit more simple, it's going to be a little bit less ornate, and I'm, then again... To me, it's all about the interaction with the person. So, and this is a sit down with the person in front of me. So then they start saying, "Well, yeah, that sounds cool, but maybe what would, can we do this? Can we do that?" And then I say, "Well, yeah, it's going to take more time and more money and more effort." So, and the price gets negotiated for me in that way. Um, if it's friends and family, it's it's a lot of times it's it's just off the top of my head. You know, if if somebody close to me says, "Hey, can can you build me a little cabinet?" You know, what would that cost you? I just think in my head real quick, you know, what's something that's fair to me? Because I do enjoy it. And, you know, maybe 300 bucks just to build a nice uh, cabinet. In fact, I think when when you were doing reincarnation, Tim, um, mm -hmm. I had gotten a friend of mine that exact example. Uh, it was a $300 cabinet. They, and I always ask for half down no matter what I'm going to do. Because they back out. I tell them I'm keeping the money and my whatever I build. But anyway, uh, so they gave me the 150 bucks. I finished this cabinet. They were absolutely flabbergasted with it. It was really cool, and um, I, you know, I had that remainder. But that was, to me, in my mind, that was a great deal for them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, value in in and of itself has a whole lot to do with 
other stuff as well as you as you pointed out and what do you value yourself as a maker as you know and I, I think about that because for years I struggled with not thinking I'm good enough not thinking what I made was worth asking somebody for X amount of dollars for it because it's just like well it's not as good as this stuff they can just go out and buy a really nice one for this much and blah 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 but over the years I've learned that you value yourself more and you, you will value your work more you know and so I'm proud of what I make now I'm proud of um, the skills that I've, I've learned because it doesn't come cheap you know that's a lot of time that's a lot of effort it's a lot of mistakes it's a lot of money to gain skills because you're either buying tools or you're wasting materials because you screwed something up um, but yeah so you know I'm confident in my work now enough to where you know I, I, I know the value of how I feel about myself I know the value of the importance of what I do and if it's for somebody I care about I know the value of what they're going to feel I've made for them how much they're going to value that actual piece as opposed to monetarily so anyway, I'm, I'm kind of. Did I mention I was tired, man? So I'm kind of tired here. <laughs> well, you're being so very I, esoteric about I, value. Do you I, have I a like Tim? <laughs> do you have a value in your mind of how much you're worth an hour, let's say, plus materials? Like that's sometimes a, some of the calculus that I do. Actually, yeah, yes, I do. Actually, um, I will figure on if it's if it just generally if if I'm not sure about something, it's. Easily to me, fifty bucks an hour plus materials, and I don't care if I find the materials or not. I'm adding a price for materials. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a bigger job, and I've done a few that are, have, you know, over the years that have been big jobs. I mean, for like a company or corporation, it's five hundred dollars a day. And if I know that I'm going to spend eight hours a day working on something, it's going to be five hundred dollars a day. It's going to take me a week. I know how much to charge them. So. But but again, this comes from you know, like I said, I've, I've been doing this a long time and not full time ever. But I mean, for many 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 years, I've I've done side jobs and commissions, whether I built a fence or a deck or a, uh, installation of uh, tables and chairs in a restaurant. You know, I've I've done all these little things over the years, so it's it's easier for me. People starting out, um, I think I love your idea, Phil. I just think that's great. It's like start here if it sells. At, up the price, man. That's pretty damn good. Right. That's first of all, I'll tell you that I have a bit. I'm I'm cheating a little bit, and in that, I don't really have to see anyone face to face to implement that strategy. It's kind of like a bid system in that you know right. people bite. Whereas if I had to deal with someone face to face, I would definitely be using your method of I know how much I'm worth. I know how long this will take. I know roughly how much materials are, and you know take it or leave it because. But that's not; those are strangers. For family, it's usually materials, and then right. But like I say, you know, it's a, it's a lot of interaction too, and you and you test your salesmanship when you do that. When you, even if it's a friend or a stranger, but when you sit down face to face with somebody, you you kind of get to gauge how they are. Are they going to be a pain in the ass client? And if they seem like they're real finicky, um, my price is going to go up. You know, but I I try. In fact, I think I told Matt Dressa this one time. Um, I try and let people know that I'm going to when they when they all is said and done and we discuss what it's going to look like. I remind them that I'm going to interpret what you think you want. So mm -hmm. just as long as we're clear on that, if you want something that looks exactly like this picture you're showing me, buy it. You know, there you go. Mm -hmm. That's what you want. Buy that. But if you want me to make something, my vision of what this is based upon what I can tell that you told me you like about this piece. It's going to be my interpretation of what you think you want. 
So as long as we're clear about that. But anyway, that's it's all about again. managing expectations. I mean, from anything that you ever do when that's work related, manage what is it you expect? Okay, this is what I can deliver and keep reinforcing that has has been something I found. But I'm curious to hear, Tim, do you have a value in your mind for how much your time is worth or do you do based on the project and it takes you how long for long it takes you? Well, I got I have to I have to preface this with an uh, saying that I don't want to like I don't want to use any any labels, but I'm not really super interested in money. Um, I, I'm obviously a capitalist because I live in a capitalist world, and so I need to make money to survive. But I'm not worried about getting rich. I'm not worried about um, all this stuff. So that's why one of the reasons why value is such a struggle for me. Because now the other hand is that I spend most of my life as an artist, which means that all uh, my income has come on my imagination and my, you know, skills or quote-unquote talent or whatever, you know, all these things that I do. And I can tell you that, you know, when I was younger as a musician, specifically, if I had a nickel for every dollar I was promised, you know, I'd, I'd be rich beyond my wildest dreams, you know. It's just sort of the nature of, of that. People I really always... do. I, I love that quote. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's just so true. It's like, you know, people will be like, well, hey, can you record? Can you record the music for my album? I can't pay you now, but I'll give you a point on the record, and it's going to be a million-dollar record. So you're going to make thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I always say to them, "Well, I didn't when I was younger because I believed that junk." <laughs> and then as I realized that not everybody was going to be Michael Jackson, that maybe I need to be a little pickier about who I chose to donate my time to. I would simply say to them, like, "Well, if you're really going to make a million dollars on this record, and I'm only asking for two hundred dollars right now, why are you going to give me ten thousand? You know, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you give me the two hundred dollars right now?" Wouldn't that make more sense to you? You know, and, you know, it's just because that's all I want. I two hundred bucks and you got me. I'll record your song. You know, but um, so that's right. that's kind of the same thing. I, I've had that even happen in the making world too, where people are like, oh, well, yeah, I'm gonna all these people are gonna come to my house and you're gonna get all these customers, and that's that's great, but I still need to get paid for the work that I do. You know, so with with that preface, um, I like Bill. I have a very similar number. I I basically shoot for fifty bucks an hour plus expenses. Um, and that's not even, I actually pay rent at my shop, so there's actually like, you know, even less because I do have, you know, minor overhead. It's not really very expensive to run my shop, but, um, and so that's, that's kind of what I shoot for. So I'll do the same thing as I'll do my best estimate of how much the materials are going to cost me, even if they're free, because there's a labor involved in free materials, as we all know. <laughs> yes, there is. If you know, if you need ten pallets to make a project, that means you got to break down ten pallets, denail ten pallets. So there's, there's, you know, figure that's going to take you three hours. So there's 150 bucks in material cost, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's what I shoot for, and I just take my best guess as to, uh, you know, how long it's going to take me. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. <laughs> Interesting. Let me let me ask you this because you make pieces, um, and do you do any kind of let's say, I don't know. I want to say market analysis. So if you're making a walnut table, um, are you simply again almost charging as though you're a carpenter by the hour and the materials, or are you looking at the the market value for one of these pieces? You know, and that's that's something that I, I struggle with, and I and I refer to my my wife sometimes because that comes up. And then there's also just the a lot of times, especially with the the type of work I try to do, because I try to do these really sort of unique, one of a kind things. And sometimes I'll make something that'll take me like two hours, but it'll be just like flipping awesome, and um, you know, and worth right. worth way more than a hundred bucks, you know. Um, and so then, but then I struggle with that because I'm not 
necessarily interested in getting rich, so I almost feel like, well, if I charge a thousand bucks for this and it's, it only took me two hours, I'm kind of ripping people off. So I try to find some happy medium. I've had I've had s- several pieces I've made that that um you know I've I've listed and, and I, I ask my wife all the time when I make stuff because most of the time now I'm doing custom work so it's all settled before I make it. But mm-hmm. uh, you know when I make something and I'm just like gonna put it on Etsy or whatever, ask my wife like what I'm like what price tag would you put on this and and um you know so, sometimes it's just completely different than anything I would have even fathomed you know. Um, so I, yeah, that's that's tricky. Like I remember this one of the first things I ever sold on Etsy was a table I made. It was the the um, the pedals of a grand piano, like the three brass pedals, and they had the there was some of the the legs that like some wood part that kind of came up to hold them that went up to the to the bottom of the keyboard basically. And so I, I took that and I and I took the the part that you would put the music on the music stand part of the piano. Mm-hmm. Then I put that on top of the pedestal and I put a piece of wood under the pedestal to make it stand by itself. Um, so it was a little hall entry table. It was like 18 inches by you know 10 inches. Uh, the brass feet on it. It took me an hour to make. So I charged 75 dollars for it. It sold instantly. And my wife. Of course was, it did. My wife was like, "Why? That's like a 500 dollar table, you know? Like, why did you?" I was like, "But it only took me an hour. I would, you know." And th- and that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this with you guys, and I wanted to hear your opinions too, you know. There's an interesting tool that uh, Etsy can be not only to sell stuff, but like I said, I've never sold on it, but. If you need a reference, if you're just starting out, and it's it's tough when you're just starting out because things usually do take you longer, and you don't want to feel like, well, I'm going to sell it too cheap, and I put all this time and effort into it, but how much do I think? Look on Etsy, and just yeah. if you're if you're building a reclaimed wood coffee table, for example, search for reclaimed wood coffee tables, and see what the prices are that are that there are on Etsy or Craigslist or even go to a, a local shop, you know, and get an idea that will help you come up with a price that's going to make you feel comfortable for the effort and the labor that you put into it, but also know that you're not going to sell yourself short. Yes, you know, but, that's exactly what I do in some cases. I'll look at something, you know, and I, I mean, I turn down jobs all the time because I don't think right. I can, I, if I'm not interested in it, I don't think I can do it. If I see, you know, that someone wants this and they want to spend this much money, and I look around, and that's what everybody's making it for. I go, I can't make that for that much money, and and so I'll tell people like, well, I could do it for you, but it's going to be twice as much as what everybody else is asking, and they're, well, you know, right. I'm just that's how much it will cost for me to do it. Then there's other things, and that's how I feel. It's like, okay, then there's other things that I'll do maybe for less than other people, just the way I'm tooled up in my particular skills and what I'm comfortable with, what I'm fast on, you know, how everybody's shop is different, everybody's skill set's different. Some things that might take you, Bill, you know, six hours, I might be able to do in three, three and a half because of my tools and my skills. Exactly. So I can charge half as much as you, you know. It's hard to do, to, to, to do that to yourself, you know, and understand yourself and know yourself. I was going to say, let me tell you why I don't feel bad about charging more, even though sometimes it takes me a little bit less, uh, because the opposite happens too. Yes. You know, <laughs> like this uh, this little garbage can that I put on Etsy for 40 bucks took me five and six hours to do. Yep. That is way below what I, I honestly believe my time is worth. And, right. uh, you know, so it I think it all balances out. Yeah, and that's that's why like sometimes I'll do something and I'll be like I'll get done and be like well I'm not doing that again you know mm-hmm. it's not that, and that's that's cutting boards for me because <laughs> it always comes back to cutting. <laughs> yeah. Your nemesis. I don't, I don't see that like I mean I made that chessboard right you know and that's like making a cutting board but it's a yeah. chessboard so it's it has a higher value than a cutting board and uh, 
I just, I mean, I, I'm just not set up for that. People ask me to make cutting boards, I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I'm like, I can't. There's these guys that make all these awesome cutting boards, and somehow they're comfortable selling them for these prices that to me just seem insane for what I think the amount of work goes into them, you know. But that's that's great. That's their skill set and they're what they're comfortable doing. Or tooling, as you said, these guys oh. might have 40 inch, uh, you know, belt sanders and yeah, uh, yeah, drum sanders. Know, I mean, drum sanders. Yeah, yeah. I, so. I do have that drum sander now, so maybe I could start making. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do things that interest me, though. You know, like as soon as it stops interesting me, I, I just don't want to do it. And I, I'm sort of, I have to motivate myself to get into the shop, which sucks because it should be something that I love doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way because you, you do it professionally. So how do you balance, I mean, this might be a whole other topic, but how do you balance money versus the thing you want to be doing? Well, here's, and this is like if, like, Lutz knows you know, probably as well as anybody, if not better, but uh, I live my life a little differently than a lot of people, and maybe it is another topic, but basically, I do what I'm interested in, and that's what I do, and um, and I throw myself into it, and that's one of those things, it's really easy to never really be worried about having a lot of money, because I never had a lot of money, because I never stuck around in a job long enough to get good enough at it to make a lot of money. <laughs> 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 I... I I um I do what I love and, and I and I tell people this all the time. As soon as you don't like going to work, then it's time to look for another job. Um, and now that's obviously it can't be true, f- you know, for every hour of the day. Everybody's got to sand. Whatever your job is, there's some kind of proverbial sanding you have to do at it. But exactly. If, but if there's that, if that is outweighing the joy of the job, or even coming, even tying it, or even coming close to tying the joy of the job to where it's like a fifty-fifty thing, where you're like, oh, I don't want to go to work. I do want to go to work. It's time to think about what you're doing with your life because it's too short to spend that much time doing something you don't like. I've been at jobs where I had to sit in the car before I walked into the building for five minutes to psych myself up to go in. Yeah. And on the second or third time that happened, I was like, you know what? I got to go. Yeah. This, this, I can't see, this, keep living this like come, this. This comes right back to value again. It's another way that value can, can be applied is that what is the value of, of what you're gaining for, for your job as far as talking about having to go to work. I'm lucky that I'm in a position now, I've said this before, where I don't hate my job. Mm-hmm. I would much rather be doing what Tim is doing, but for now, I enjoy what I do at work. Um, it's not horrible. It provides me a, a comfortable living with with my wife, and it's going to allow me in a few years to do what Tim is doing and to transition into that thing. So there's value in my job. It, it does more than just give me a paycheck. If it didn't, if all it was providing was giving me a paycheck, but there was no value added to my life, then I don't know that I could stay there. So, again, value has a lot of different ways that it can be applied. Mm. I'm with you on that, 100%. I feel the same way. I mean, it was uh, two jobs I left. One was because, I don't know, I just didn't see the value in it. I guess I'd reached sort of as much as I was going to learn from that place, which is super critical whenever you're working anywhere. You know, if you're you're not learning, time to leave. And the other one, it was just a bad fit. I just... I didn't fit in well. The company wasn't a good fit for me, so time to go. And but where I am now is is phenomenal. A lot of room to grow, a lot a lot to learn, and uh, and and it's great. I, as I said, I was I'm in home decor, so there's a lot of crossover between what I do at work and sort of what I do at home. Not physically or specifically, but just seeing what's out there. A lot of ideas, being around artists all the time. It's really really inspiring. Hmm. Interesting. Absolutely. And there's value in that for me. So yeah. That's why I like that. 
Yeah, you know, I guess a lot of a lot of my value is tied up in um in my kids in some ways too, like because I can tell you that the the Tim Sway Perspectives World Headquarters, those jerks don't have any kind of 401k, so <laughs> so it's up to Vance Maker to step it up when I'm 75 years old and I can't handle the table saw anymore. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, man, if if we're talking about Vance Maker and the value that you you're putting in your kids, you are the richest man I know. Yeah, you're here. You guys don't even know the girl, my my stepdaughter, uh, Madeline. She's a senior in um in right now, and she's uh, you know on a roll. Uh, everything, just a super amazing and, and brilliant kid, and um, I can't wait to see what what happens with her too, and all that you know she's going to accomplish. Just the the smarts in her and, and everything. It's, it's, it is is really awesome. And uh, so that it was is re- college. really cool. The video you did with her too, by the way. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah. Same, she did you one it, video it, with me. Yeah, and it was exactly the same exact experience. It, it was just this phenomenal connection that you have with your kids and well, sharing that with us. So Yeah, you know, unfortunately I I don't get as, as much with Madeline because she's older and she has her own life and, you know, I'm just the stepdad guy. But every once in a while we get we get to spend a little time together and it's nice. I'm sure she doesn't think of you as the stepdad guy. <laughs> nice try though. You're so self facing. But she's like, she's like my other dad that taught me how to weld. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, that's that's true, I guess. All right, um, let's stop making him yeah. blush for a second. <laughs> I want to know, because mm-hmm. we're always talking about reclaimed. Let's ask this question: What is reclaimed material worth? You know, like uh, things that are rare and scarce, and you know, you talked about it before, Tim. You know, the the chestnut that's getting pulled out of these old houses that just doesn't exist in the area anymore, like. Is there an intrinsic value when it's sold and when you buy it as raw material? How do you determine that? Well, you know, I, I do buy a lot of the wood that I use because, um, you know, it, it's just sort of the nature of the work I'm doing right now. And like I said, I'm buying it from urban miners most of the time. Um, and I don't mind advertising for them. <laughs> They're my buds. And But, uh, you know, he has a, you know, the, the pricing is based on what he says. Now, if you go to, there's also a lot of these, like, reclaimed lumber suppliers and whatnot, and they tend to be a little more expensive, but they will, it's almost like going to a lumber yard where you can get the S4S sort of treatment of it, and, and they, they're selling it in these, you know, they, they're tearing down like, you know, giant, you know, four-inch thick stuff and milling it down to one-inch boards, and, um, but with urban miners, they're a little different, they're tearing down houses and, and just, just like residential things, and it's not necessarily special, you know, um, it's not like some giant building that's worth getting a whole company. It's just this very small company that's going in and trying to save everything they can. So, um, you know, he's some wood he's got a you know six dollars a board foot on or eight bucks a board foot. You know, these types of prices. So it's usually comparable to buying new wood, um, right? You know, price wise. Um, so you know, obviously bulk helps, and but then there's other stuff that's just that he doesn't charge anything anything near that, like the that's really not as special or as rare, you know. When you have if you have 1850s New England, you know, Westport, Gold Coast, Connecticut barnwood that's chestnut, that's worth money because that's a, a big piece of history from a very important part of the the world, and you know, you got to pay for it. And when you sell that piece, is that like a, a huge value add? Yes, yes, it is because a big part of what I try to do is I try to tell the story. Um, in case you haven't noticed, you know, I mean, obviously doing everything I do, I'm an entertainer, and you know, and, a, and a, I try to be a storyteller in some ways. 
So the story is very important to me as as a because you know again like I'm I'm an artist not an environmentalist really you know I'm trying to just bring awareness. So if I have a great story to a, a piece that I build, that's awesome. And um, I try to have a story for everything I get. You know, where if the story is like, well, I was driving to work and I found a pallet on the side of the road and I made this. That's the story. But the story is better if in the 1850s the Smith family <laughs> built this. Farm, you know, that's a much 100%. better story. Well, I, I, I'm in marketing, so I also yeah. consider myself a storyteller, maybe yeah. from a different perspective, but absolutely, you can use whatever you bring to the table as far as uh, backstory to any of the products that you're selling, you know, creates uh, this want, this desire in this person to to grab hold of this this piece of story that you've spun, you know, whether, you know, true or not, or whatever it is, you know, we're all sort of artifact collectors. Yeah, and that's that's why I started making videos. Um, Wait, was, whoa, whoa, you you make videos? Yeah, I made a couple. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the, the main reason I started doing it, and um, is that it added. I wanted to give it with the piece that I made for a customer. It was uh, the well, the website custommade.com that I you know I do some work with and a lot of work with. Uh, I get a lot of my customers there and stuff. They for a while were had this thing where they encourage you to have a creation story that accompanied your your build. Where you took photos every day, you know, and to keep the customer in the loop of what's going on, which is obviously something I would do anyways. But some people need to be reminded and told that. And um, so I started shooting video instead of just taking pictures of it every day. And then when the piece was done, I could put together a little three to five minute video showing it getting built. And it was also to prove that the story was what it was, or at least my three to five minutes of the story. You know, I mean, obviously I couldn't go back to the 1850s with the camera, but you know. Um, and that is to add value to the piece, you know. And like I mentioned, um, I think it was last week's podcast, I mentioned about like the sawdust and the little vials that I, yeah. I give them. It's like adding value to the piece. And these are all the things that if you go to, you know, McBox store and buy their, their Mick reclaimed furniture, you're not going to get that. And they're who I'm competing with. They're who I'm, people are comparing my prices to and everything. I need to give them something better. I need to give them something right. more, you know. You know, this is this is a good opportunity too to to remind everybody the difference between upcycling and reclaimed, because um, using reclaimed materials is just that it's materials that you're you're taking that have been used for something else and you're you're creating something with it. Upcycling, you have to be careful sometimes because I've run across a couple people that I've seen them make this amazing little table or a nightstand out of table legs or something that were really interesting and I asked them about it and they said, oh yeah, well I found this thing and they showed me the rest of it and they had a complete antique. I mean literally like something from the 1800s that the finish was worn a little bit on and they tore it apart to make something else which was cool but you had something, that's where value is going to take a dump because they had something that might have been worth three to five thousand dollars just the way it sat and now they have a really neat three to five hundred dollar table. So, yeah. Yeah, know, that's, I, not, that's just, down cycling. Yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> so just kind of be careful. I mean, most of what I do, I don't use a lot of reclaimed materials. I most of everything I have is is you as you've seen on the tour is upcycled materials. It's crap that I found that's pulling out of the garbage, pulling out of the dumpsters. People left it on the side of the curb. Um, but yeah, just be careful with that. You know, don't don't turn an antique into a really cool project when you have something that may be just in the story itself, uh, something that's an amazing history or just quite simply is worth a whole buttload of money. You know? mm, yeah, it's true. It's a good, it's a good idea to, to research your find a little bit before you just take it to the table saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? What was the, uh, that show that 
the, the they'd go around the auction uh, floor and they'd see if what you brought to it was worth millions. Oh, the antiques roadshow. Yeah, antiques yeah. yeah. So maybe run it past those guys first. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I get called on uh, out on stuff like that a lot. People are like, oh, you destroyed that, you ruined that. We talked about this in our in our whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she's like, no, I didn't. I did the research, man. If it, if it was worth more, I wouldn't have cut it up. I would have sold it. <laughs> and, I, and I do. Every once in a while, you'll see in my Etsy shop, I'll, I'll have some weird antique for sale or some random antique, you know, because I, I had it. And I was like, oh, this is too nice to chop up, you know, so. Well, I'm, I'm sure everybody's glad that you're doing that, uh, you know, that vetting. Yeah, you know, I, I, try. It's, I try. It's it's a good idea. And, it's a really you know, good idea. When I posted the the ukulele uh, video, and one of my Australian uh, YouTube fr- friends, he wrote like he, he's like ebony, it's like four hundred dollar a board foot ebony, you know. He was like kind of like how, but it's like hey, someone threw it away, man, you know. And it's like in the the piano that it was attached to wasn't worth restoring, so that's where right. I went, you know. And it's it's true. It's like if the piano was working and I was knocking the keys off it to make a nut for a plywood ukulele, I'd be a criminal, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, let's. Um, I think we're getting we're moving forward with time here, so yeah. let's move on to uh, what what we're watching these days. Tim, why don't you tell us who you're watching? Okay, I wanted to uh, I want to talk about my my friend Barry Cox at BC Design. Um, it's uh, his YouTube channel is BC Design. I'm not quite sure the exact address, but his name is Barry Cox. You can search that, and he's. Um, He's. I think he's in another country. I should have probably asked him before I before I just started talking. But uh, I'll look it, it up matters. right now. Here. Not, not, not that it matters, you know. But um, he's uh, does primarily upcycled and reclaimed uh, stuff in his very small shop. Um, uh, well, maybe it's huge, but it's always the same bench, you know, same shot that he's working in and stuff. And he makes really nice stuff. He makes very very nice stuff. And uh, I've always really enjoyed the end results. His most recent project didn't appear to be reclaimed. Looks like some nice, very small pieces of you know some new wood that he put together. It's this beautiful iPad stand. He put brass pins in it for like dowels instead of uh, instead of using wooden dowels to kind of assemble it, which I thought oh, was nice. a really cool idea. And I never would have thought of that. And it's just that little cl- classy touch to it. Um, so yeah, that's that's um, my weekly my recommendation of the week is Barry Cox at BC Design. We'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Bill, what about you? Well, I, I kind of have two. Um, one is somebody I've already mentioned. And I think it was our first podcast, and it was Christiana, and if I could say this right, because I looked it up because I wanted to make sure I got it right, Bill Geris, and her channel is Get Hands Dirty, but our first podcast, we didn't have our website, so it never got posted. So if we could, Phil, my favorite Canadian ever. I know. I have, to, could, uh, I have to maybe, do the backlog. So uh, maybe get her on there, and the reason I'm saying that is because she actually left me a really nice comment on my last video and, and mentioned that, hey, thank you so much for the shout-out. You know, I and my friends are, are listening to your podcast, but we're not in Brazil. She's from Portugal, so I wanted to make sure that we corrected that. <laughs> it's so, not even close, buddy. <laughs> I, you know what? This Again, I'm well, the language is the I've same, ever right? been in Chicago, so what do I know? <laughs> it's uh, a... Anyway. Is it the same language in Brazil? They speak uh, yeah, Portuguese. Yeah, they, they speak Portuguese. I think she had, yeah. yeah, she said that it was very close as far as the language. I got that part. The only thing I got right was that, obviously, that the language. It wasn't anyway. Spanish. But now, uh, uh, to continue, um, I'd like to throw some love to somebody who's been showing us a lot of love lately. And it's another Canadian, or Canadianian, as I like to say. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Jason McGinn of McGinn's Workshop, Woodshop. 
And not only that, but he is one of the Maritime Woodworkers who has spotlighted quite a few of us in the group. And he's uh, the guy's got some skills. I mean, if uh, you see some of his videos where he's doing um, some Etsy things that kind of like Phil, he does these really cool block puzzle things for kids. Uh, he's got an X carve, so he's making some really cool projects from that. But let's let's check out Jason. Show him some love. Uh, I I appreciate more of what all of you are going through now because I'm in the middle of the, the freezing part of the world. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's for anything. <laughs> the fact that you guys have survived yourselves and your temperatures, I think we should give you all some love. You are too funny. You don't even know what winter is yet. This is still uh, like it's still fall, the spring weather. It's not even winter. Until okay, December I'm, t- I'm I'm laying on the couch, touching the glass on this beautiful house, and my fingers hurt. That's how <laughs> cold the glass is. Oh my god, yeah, Tim, man. tell him, tell him he's like a Pinot Noir. This guy's got uh, thin thin skin. <laughs> oh man, it's it's like you know what it, it. I mean, I'm I'm the older I get, I actually get better at dealing with it, which is weird because I used to just be miserable. But now, thanks to my wife who introduced me to Smart Wool. <laughs> which makes all the difference, and <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, and uh, some things like that. Um, you know, I'm actually a little better prepared, and you know, I'm wearing like the the boots that are rated at negative eighty indoors. You know, but um, uh, you know, it's but somewhere around like February twentieth, when like that other eighteen inch snowstorm comes in, you're just like, oh, I'm I'm I quit. You know, it's just that's when it gets to you. But uh, then, so what, <laughs> but um, but what makes it so nice is that when the spring comes, you just you know there's a saying that they let the cows out of the barn, and that's an old New England saying because they have to bring the cows into the barn from January, February, you know when it's freezing cold, and then when they let the cows out, they would actually buck like wild horses, um, because they'd be so excited to go out. And there's that feeling of when that first day comes out and you see the ground and the, you hear a bird, you know, a robin comes back and and the cows come out of the barn, and it's just a really nice time of year. You wouldn't get that without without miserable February. I was saying that was a really cool, unexpected story from Tim. I didn't realize he was so uh, authoritative on cows. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just tell you my video so we can wrap this up. You guys are killing yes. me. All right. <laughs> hey, Phil. Hang on. And action. Hey, Phil, what are you watching? I am watching... Uh, sorry, this guy, his name is Aaron Weed, and that's the name of his channel also. I'll put it in the show notes. And uh, what really got me, and I'm not even sure this is the most his recent video. In fact, I know it's not his most recent video. He did it about a year ago. But you got to check it out. This guy uh, is both a woodworker and a machinist, and he restored a, a jointer, but that wasn't even the coolest part. The coolest part is that he made these extension beds, like 10-inch on either side, and he machined them to such precision on this lathe that he has at home uh, so I started checking out some of its other videos, and one of them is some like uh, levelers for a work table and stuff. Just amazing innovation. Doesn't have too many videos, and uh, but he is posting pretty regularly. So I'll put that in the show notes. Really, really cool guy, and and super talented. Cool. Uh, nice. What's now? Okay, let's uh, let's promo our channels a little bit. I don't think we're doing that enough. Tim, tell us a little bit about your channel, and you know what's coming out. Um, yeah, well, I, I, my channel is uh, my name, Tim Sway, and I just, uh, I just posted a video a couple days ago of, um, uh, just this kind of, like, weird fire poker thing that I made, and, um, I was just messing around, really, it was just a, kind of a, a quick present for my neighbor, 
and uh, so that's up. And I was trying to have fun with the video. I, I got some like freaky music on a bunch of homemade instrument parts and stuff. It was and, cool. It was very was cool. Trying the to do video was so cool. It was yeah, so thanks. cool. Quit being so modest. I, well, you know, I, I mean, I, it's. I, I want to do better with that type of stuff, but I'm just starting to learn. I, I'm still using just iMovie. I don't have any kind of Final Cut or anything, and so there's definitely when you try to get all artsy with it, there's the limitations start to you start hitting a wall. But it was it was it came out pretty good, and so that's my channel. And then my, I'm going to be posting a video later this week. I uh, another Vance Maker episode about stickers. So oh, cool. um, unfortunately, I'm not going to have. Uh, we've gotten so many stickers. There's still stuff coming in the mail today. I had like six envelopes for him today in my mailbox. And uh, <laughs> so, but we got a nice, you know, little little thing about the stickers and and a, and a thank you coming up this week. That's awesome, awesome. Bill. Uh, uh, like I said earlier, I, I my next video will be an Izzy Swan inspired by video. Um, you can find me at William Lutz uh, either on Facebook or YouTube. That's it. I'm, that's yeah. Woo -woo. Okay. Nice. Uh, for me, it's uh, Jake and Emmy's dad on YouTube. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to have the base of the Rubo Bench out as soon as I can pump it out. Uh, Instagram and Twitter and Periscope is all at Phil Pinsky. Um, let's do another reminder about iTunes. Guys, please get out there and leave a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. And again, Patreon, patreon.com slash reclaimed audio. Uh, however you can help, we'd appreciate it. And, and you can and find you can find all that stuff on our website as well as reclaimedaudiopodcast.com. And right. a shout and a shout out to uh, one of our patrons in particular, Louise Gonzalez, um, for his, his generous support of our show, and we're uh, very appreciative. And also, uh, personally, I've never actually talked uh, to Luis, and I'm looking forward to it because uh, I think what he's doing is awesome, and I can't wait to kind of get to meet him. What, 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 what's, what's a Gonzalez? <laughs> Funny guy. <laughs> I'm going to add a just tack on a tiny little thing to what you said. There, there is the financial support of it, but there's also the uh, the, the moral support. This guy yeah. is such a uh, he's a force, and and he's so supportive. And the traditional kind of patronage of the arts is what he's doing, but he also like pushes us. He's like, you know, you guys should, you know, do this and do that, and it's all really positive, great stuff, and. Uh, and, and he's a great guy, and we really appreciate it. In fact, we're as part of the Patreon package that he's on. We have a, a hangouts call with him right after this, and there are a few more slots for that if anyone's interested. But we're about to hop on a call with Luis right now after we finish recording. So, big, huge thank you to Luis. Thanks, brother. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. We absolutely do. I especially do, just because he's just so cool. Yeah, man. Okay, boys. Unless there's anything else. Thanks again for listening, guys, and, and we'll speak to you next week. Yeah, and, Bye, uh, everybody. Bye. Thanks very much for listening. If you have anything uh, you want to ask us, feel free to, to email us via our oh, website. Twitter us, email us, all that Yeah, whatever. Stuff. You know where to find us.